Isn't this one of your favorite times of year? I mean, this, this whole season, this season of Advent, season of time from Thanksgiving to Christmas, this is a time of great memories, great traditions, traditions that we also get to create ourselves as we go forward with those whom we care about. I know that for me and for my family, this service, the Hanging of the Green service at Covenant, um, all of them are, have become a really important part for us of kicking off this Advent season. And we hope that some of what we are going to be doing here as a congregation in the weeks and months ahead will be that for all of us as well. Part of that tradition of preparing ourselves, because that's what Advent is. Advent's sort of one of those two times in the calendar. The, the first is, is Lent, uh, when we get ready for our Holy Week. And Lent, Lent, those 40 days, are more of a time of repentance. Advent is the time when we prepare ourselves for the miracle of what is unique about our faith. What is totally unique about the Christian faith is that we don't believe that God is just some abstract reality off in heaven looking down on us. The miracle is the incarnation. The miracle, as Eugene Peterson says, is that God takes on flesh and moves into the neighborhood. That God doesn't just tell us to be loving. God shows us what loving is. God doesn't just tell us how to forgive or that we're supposed to forgive, but he shows us how to forgive. And that we follow one who is God incarnate, fully God and yet fully human in the flesh. The miracle of that and of his coming into the world is what we prepare ourselves for. Advent is a time when we prepare ourselves. And that really gets at the, the theme of Advent for this year that we're going to be talking about here at Covenant. Our theme is prepare him room. This active process that you and I are called to be a part of, of preparing ourselves. To prepare him room. It comes from the Christmas carol, Joy to the World. And while that's a, uh, a, certainly a Christmas carol, those words are more of an Advent focus. That let every heart, we sing, prepare him room, to make room for God. Advent's the time when we do that, when we set ourselves up to both celebrate the miracle of Jesus' birth and also the miracle that we await of his return. So I look forward to these days as we journey together here at Covenant. Now we're going to do this in a variety of ways. The first off is, is, for example, is the the daily Advent devotional you can get on your way out, a way that daily we can be preparing him room in our hearts, doing this work of Advent. We'll do it on a weekly basis in our worship services here at Covenant. And, And something that's going to be happening in each of our services, which we celebrated already this morning, is the lighting each and every Sunday of an Advent candle. You know, in the Bible, the image of light has a lot of connections with the image of God. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, he writes that Jesus is the light of the world. And that the darkness, the darkness that exists in this world and the darkness that exists in all of our hearts, starting with mine, has tried its best to snuff that light out. And it could not do so. Shall not do so. So each week we're going to light one of these candles and have that candle and what it means help to prepare him room in our hearts. 
And today, the first candle that was lit is the candle of hope. That this day and this week, part of how we prepare him room, the work of Advent, is to ask ourselves in this world with the bad news and the brokenness that we might see all around us, what does it mean to be people of hope? And what does this candle mean and how does it burn for us this day? The scripture that's going to guide us this morning is from the Old Testament, from the prophet Isaiah, starting in chapter 2, verse 1. I invite you to listen now to God's word to us today. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are or how we walk in here today, that we would hear and be able to prepare room in our hearts as people of hope. May this good news be our news this day. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. What Isaiah is describing here, 2,700 years ago, full 700 years before the birth of Jesus, is Isaiah is talking about this is what the kingdom will look like. In days to come, he says, this is this glorious vision of the kingdom that God is going to establish. I need you to know that even if that imagery sounds familiar to you, this idea that, that maybe you've heard before of us beating our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks and studying war no more, as wonderful as that imagery may be, there's a part of me when I read it and I look at this candle, a candle of hope, I wonder how hopeful I feel at times. I might be the only one, but I wonder how hopeful I feel about this day really coming about. Because you have to ask yourselves, in the midst of this time, how much closer are we today, 2,700 years after Isaiah wrote this, how much closer are we today to this kingdom being real in our world than it was in Isaiah's? I mean, surely there's been progress since then, right? I mean, they, Isaiah didn't have an iPhone. He had to find different ways of writing this down. There's all kinds of technological advances that we have made. But are we any closer to building this kingdom that he describes in such beauty in these pages? Well, let's take three of the primary markers of what Isaiah writes about and says in these five verses. Three things that he says the kingdom of God is going to look like that we should feel hopeful about. 
The first is, he says, that when the, when the house of the Lord is established on the tallest mountain, he says the first thing that's going to happen is that all of the nations will gather together around the house of the Lord, that the nations will gather together as one. So 2,700 years later, how much closer are we to that vision? How much closer are we to this idea of the nations gathering as one? It's very similar to in the New Testament when uh, John in the book of Revelation writes about the kingdom to come. And he says that when the new Jerusalem is established, once again, it'll be marked by all tribes and tongues, every nation coming together as one humanity, really losing our sense of national identity and that the nations will become one, that our only identity we're going to need is that we are the people of God. Equal brothers and sisters. How much closer are we? One of the things that many pundits on both the left and the right are writing about right now is the reality of the rise of nationalism in nations around the world today. We're seeing that in this country. We're seeing this in Europe. My in-laws are embroiled right now in the realities of Brexit and what that is going to mean, and that is all about national identity and how we think about that. I was reading an article in CNN a couple of weeks ago about the rise of nationalism in Asia, in India, in China, and in Russia. This idea that my nationality and my nationalism is the primary sense of identity and what I have and I cling to it anymore. So my question is, 2,700 years later, are we moving in any level, in any demonstrated way, closer to building the society that Isaiah says the kingdom of God is going to look like? And not only does he say that the nations are going to gather together, but he says that what's going to happen when the nations will gather together, the second thing, he says that they are going to want to learn the ways of the Lord. That the Lord will teach them his ways and then arbitrate the disputes that take place between those nations and those people who gather. So are we closer to building that? Well, we know that in the city of Austin, the growing majority is not people who are seeking to know the ways of the Lord. We are in a declining minority as people who are in church this morning that the majority of people still think they're doing something original by saying, I'm creating my own spirituality. It's as old as humanity itself. Oh, I don't need any of that. I've kind of got my own way of doing this. And yet, what generation after generation, we keep convincing ourselves there's something creative or original about when we do it. Oh, no, it's different when I do it. Okay. But what we see here is a decline in this city and in our nation, and it's not slowing down. In fact, studies of millennials and newer generations say that it's going to speed up and not slow down. Less and less people being interested in what is the way of the Lord and how do we learn that. Now, the church has to own a part of the responsibility for that. But the fact is that's happening. So that's number one. I mean, that's number two. Number one is all the nations will gather together. We can debate how much closer we are to that. Number two, we can talk about the idea that when we gather together, we're going to want to learn the ways of the Lord. And statistics are not saying we're trending in the right direction right now in this country and in Europe and in many different places. And so Isaiah says that those are the first two things. And then he says the third thing is that when we gather together and we learn the ways of the Lord and the Lord arbitrates uh, the conflicts that are between us, the third thing we're going to do is we will study war no more. That we will beat, he says, our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks, and we will study war no more. That there will be a just and lasting peace. And I ask you again, 2,700 years. I mean, it's not like we're demanding this in six months. 
2,700 years later, are we at all closer as a global society to establishing a just and lasting peace? I'm going to leave that there and let you turn on the news this afternoon and decide. Now, I was talking about all this with my wife last night, and she goes, this sounds like an amazingly uplifting sermon <laughs> to, to start Advent. How exciting, how very, it's very Christmassy. <laughs> and this is the candle of hope. This is not the Sunday of hopelessness. But if we're going to understand what this candle's about, we've got to start with honesty. And honesty is this. If you believe that we as human beings can create the society Isaiah is describing, then how do you explain the last 2,700 years? But it's just around the corner. We're really close because we haven't had enough songs about world peace. But when we get one more, then we're going to figure it out. We've had marches, we've had protests, we've had poems, we've had songs, we've had anthems, we've had demonstrations. It's not like we haven't been talking about it. So where does hope lie as we sit here today? The honest place is that what we see in Isaiah is that while each of these three things of learning the ways of the Lord and of the nations coming together as one and of, of, of beating our swords into plowshares and, and studying war no more, that that's the stuff we're going to do, but all the stuff we're going to do is a response to what God does in the beginning. You read those first verses again. What it says is that the Lord is going to establish his kingdom, his throne on the highest mountain. And it is in the establishment of what God is going to do that the nations will begin to come together in this way. And so what we have to ask ourselves is not where we see this in the macro big picture sense, because I think it's going to be really hard to find it if we have any degree of honesty in our conversations with each other but that where we are going to begin to find it is in looking for how does the kingdom start to come alive in people's lives? Does it start by coming alive in the big picture, God working through government sense, or does it start in a very different kind of way? Part of the thing that has happened, and we need to be certain not to repeat this error, is that generation after generation around the globe has at times failed to see and to pick up on the kingdom of God because we keep starting with the macro what's in the headlines news. And we fail to understand that Jesus might have been serious when he said, do you want to know what the kingdom of God is like? He said, it's like a mustard seed. It doesn't start in the biggest of ways, it starts as the smallest of seeds. But as that seed grows and as we cultivate it, it takes on life. And over time and over generations, it becomes more and more real. And so the place to start understanding what does this candle mean is not looking in the headlines of what human beings have or have not created, but is to look in the small things of do we see Isaiah's vision becoming more real? Is it becoming more real or not? We miss this, for example, of God starting in small ways with what Christmas is a celebration of. The kings and the prophets, for the most part, were looking for the Savior coming into the world in this dramatic, public, powerful way. And instead, it starts with a helpless infant in a manger in a tiny, forgotten little town outside of Jerusalem. We missed it again on the cross. What we as Christians see as the central event in human history 
When, when Jesus uh, dies the death of a common criminal and while he's hanging there, his own followers don't understand how this is the way of God. They want something bigger and more powerful and so they abandon him. God's own, the, the persecutors come around and say, if you're the son of God, come off that cross and show us what power looks like. They miss the fact that the kingdom of God starts in these small, tiny ways that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And so we need to be people who not just look at the headlines and go, well, it's obviously not happening. But we need to look for the small examples. And can the small examples, the micro examples in your story and in my story, does the words of Isaiah start connecting? Have we seen nations come together? Have we seen people come together? Have we seen people wanting and desiring to learn the ways of the Lord? Have we seen swords being beaten into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks? Is that a part of our story where we live, work, and play? That's much more likely where we're going to see the fingerprints of the kingdom than on the big picture macro scale. I was thinking about that this week and had an example uh, strike me of something that I wouldn't have thought about if I wasn't preaching the sermon. I would have missed it. Like we often miss the kingdom of God and the small things that take place in our lives because it's just normal. And we quit paying attention to the miracles. Instead, we look at what we don't have or what's not worked out yet or what's not perfect. But I want to share this with you as maybe a way for you to be able to see where are these kind of mustard seeds of the kingdom of God in your story as well that we need to start seeing that that's the work of preparing him room, of seeing the hope and the kingdom coming alive. The miracle happened for me yesterday. Because yesterday was my oldest daughter's 15th birthday. And if you don't know the way that 15-year-olds are wished a happy birthday now, everything pretty much happens online. It's through Instagram, it's through text messaging, it's through Snapchat, it's through Facebook. For older people, it's through Facebook. Uh, But for grandparents, it still happens through the U.S. Postal Service grandparents still put the cards in the mail with the stamp and the handwritten stuff. And so part of my daughter's birthday was waking up and not just going through her phone, but we sat down together and she opened her birthday cards from her three sets of grandparents. From Beth's parents in Wales, in Great Britain, from my mother and stepfather, and from my stepmother. And it was totally normal. But if someone had told me 15 years ago that that would be how her 15th birthday would work, I would have said there was no chance for that. As many of you know, my parents divorced the summer after I graduated from high school. And it was a very sudden divorce, and it was a very dramatic thing. As my dad left, he also announced he was formally entering into a relationship with my mom's, one of my mom's closest friends. It was a difficult and painful thing for me and for my two younger brothers after 24 years of my parents' marriage to get our heads around. There was a lot of hurt and loss. There was a lot of confusion and anger. I can tell you to this day that one of the absolute saddest days in my entire life was when I came back as a sophomore in college and attended my dad's wedding to Susan. I wept through the entire service. One of my brothers refused to go. So I sat there with my second brother and just cried through the entire thing. And for those of you who have experienced something like that, given circumstances are similar, I don't need to explain to you why. After that, I clearly 
clearly told my father that I wanted nothing to do with Susan in my life at all. That led to years of incredible pain. Months of estrangement from time to time, months of not speaking, months of not having any kind of contact, and when those months would end, it would be hard enough or fake enough that we would just go back into more months of not having any contact and not talking. And I waffled between being angry about it or saying I didn't care. And that went on for years. But here's the thing about pain. Pain doesn't go away through anger and it doesn't go away through saying you don't care. Pain stays. And pain begins shaping us and forming us in good ways or not. And one of the things that it started doing in my life was it coincided with this idea of Jesus becoming real in my life at the same time. And I had to sit with, as a a new and growing Christian, what does this mean to believe in a God of grace and forgiveness and reconciliation when I have this very, what feels like very justified anger at my father? And it feels like it is betraying something critical and important to me to let that go. My dad and I had to do a lot of work as we both said things that we regretted from time to time in very hard conversations. As some of you know, my dad and I went had to go see a counselor for a very long time as we sought to work at this, and it didn't take one or two meetings to figure things out. We had to work at what it meant to forgive one another. We had to work at what it meant to believe in reconciliation. And I had to really wrestle with what does it mean to learn the ways of the Lord, as Isaiah is describing here, and to seek to live that out. But what I can tell you is, is that while it didn't happen quickly or easily, things changed. Susan went from being someone that I didn't want to acknowledge existed to someone who I eventually was able to say, she is my father's wife. And what that meant was she was a necessary inconvenience if I wanted to have a relationship with my dad. But it was very much at arm's length. But we kept working and kept moving. And eventually Susan went from someone I didn't want to have anything to do with to someone who was my dad's wife to one day she was my stepmother. And now she is a grandmother to my children. And as many of you know, my dad passed away almost two years ago. And so any need for that relationship to keep up evaporated. But the miracle that I would have missed yesterday without thinking about where do we see the kingdom of God at hand is that my daughter saw no problem and I felt total freedom in my heart that she opened three birthday cards from her grandparents yesterday. One from my mom one from my in-laws, and one from Susan. Because the kingdom of God doesn't start with us being cynical about nations not having figured out how to study war no more, but the question that we who are following Jesus have to ask ourselves from time to time, and this is the work of Advent, is this, am I ready to beat my sword into a plowshare? Am I ready to beat my spear into a pruning hook? And am I willing to study war no more? And when we see the fruit happen, 
We celebrate it because it's a sign of hope. When I think about this candle, it's those kind of micro stories in my life and in the lives of other people where I know that the kingdom of God is on the move. It's in those sorts of moments that I see and understand that we're not hoping that God will someday do something that God has not yet done, but we are waiting the day when all of the world is swept up in what we have experienced in our own lives of healing and wholeness and reconciliation as well. We're waiting for God to keep doing the thing that God is already at work doing. And so I invite you this week to reflect on and to think about what does that kind of hope look like in your life? Because we are so trained to look at this world and see what's right, not right, and to shake our heads in cynicism and to hide, or we're so trained in the consumerism of our own lives to become obsessed with what we or our children don't have or haven't worked out or haven't perfected yet. But the work of Advent of preparing him room is looking for what God has already done. And celebrating it. As I got to celebrate watching my daughter open those cards yesterday and I would have missed it if I hadn't had to stop and think. Have I seen the kingdom of God at work or not? And it was right there. If I just took the time to stop and look. Reflect on your stories this week. And may we be filled with hope at how this candle burns for us because God is going to keep doing what God does. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask and pray that you would lead us and guide us. Make us people of hope because we have seen you show up already. And we trust that you're going to keep showing up, not just for us and those whom we love, but in this world. May we prepare room for you by making room for hope in our lives and our families and in this world which you love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.